I would like to see all of the bigots and racists in the country have an opportunity to stand up and wave the bigot flag so we know just exactly who they are. Affirmative action at the Supreme Court, but what is the argument really about? I'm Scott Ott with Bill Whittle and Stephen Green. This episode of Right Angle brought to you by the members at BillWhittle.com. They are the wind beneath our wings and the fuel in our tanks, and we are grateful. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, and Bill and Steve, uh, in case you don't fit into either of those categories, I was reading a Wall Street (laughs) Journal story that was coverage of five hours of argument before the Supreme Court on Monday of the week we record this, and... um, The sentence that caught my eye was this one. Liberal justices stress the significance of diversity throughout society, while conservatives argued against classifying individuals by race. And I read that sentence, and my immediate thought was, well, yes. (laughs) Like, it occurs to me that Diversity throughout society is a good thing, and we gain a lot by it, and we shouldn't classify people by race. And I didn't see the opposition of those two notions. It seemed like a false dichotomy. Um, And so I just thought – and I I started exploring. I wrote like six pages of notes, all of which are are worthless as I tried to noodle through this process. But basically, you've got plaintiffs coming to the court and saying – Hey, the University of North Carolina and Harvard College are both discriminating against uh, Asians, for example, because um, they're trying to make special provision to get more black students, specifically and Latino students, uh, into the school. And so a highly qualified Asian student doesn't stand as good of a chance as a highly qualified black student or maybe even a slightly less qualified black student because – Harvard and UNC both feel like they need to amp up the student body population in those groups. And um, and as I was thinking about it, I was like, okay, well, why is it that, that so-called liberal justices are even saying diversity is a good thing? That's not what the case is about. You know, it, that's, they're not there to decide whether diversity is a good thing or not. It's a question of constitutionality. So is it okay for these schools to discriminate on the basis of race in order to achieve some goals that society would find useful? Um, I, I'll get into detail about my position on that later. But Bill Whittle, um, how do you how do you noodle this out without just falling back into standard arguments about affirmative action? Of course, we're against it, and uh, and they're and they're for it. Um, but really, maybe the argument should be on a whole different turf, don't you think? Yeah, you think. Um, so when they say we think that diversity is a good thing, like you said, we all people of goodwill agree with both of those statements. Diversity is a good thing and there shouldn't be racial quotas. So what So what are the liberal justices really saying? What they're really saying is diversity is a good thing and we need to maintain the legal coercive force to create what we believe to be the, the appearance of diversity. The, clearly, there's no discussion about what the actual makeup of the individuals of the country are. There's there's just the country is the country. So when they say that we think diversity is a good thing, what they're basically saying is there is not enough diversity and it needs to be enforced by government mandate. That's what they're basically saying. What the conservative judges are saying is there is not and has not been for decades a legal barrier 
to any of these things. And so to create an artificial legal barrier, to, to create a situation where you are, are bringing in this external coercive force to say that we don't like the mix, we don't, we don't like the racial mix of Harvard. And so we're going to go in there and tweak around till we get what we like. Well, let me add something to this, Bill, because it's Harvard that's saying this. And in fact, uh, more than 100 other schools have written to the court saying, we want to be able to do this. A Supreme Court decision right. 19 years ago said schools can discriminate on the basis of race, basically, in order to well, fulfill these kinds of these kind of objectives. So it's it's well, not the government saying, you school, you need to do this. It's Harvard <coughs> saying, we want to do this. Don't stop us from doing it. Yeah. Well, let's let me rephrase it then. Um, the liberal progressive position is that there should be coercive yeah. force allowed, and the and the liberal judges on the court are siding with Harvard because Harvard feels the same way because they're they're both have this progressive view that society is not fair because the because the student body at faculty does not the student body at Harvard does not have precisely the same racial breakdown as the general population does. That's their argument. And that the only explanation for that has got to be um, some kind of barriers that need to be legally removed by force. But of course, the response to that would be, show me where the barriers are. Show me. If you're saying there are more Asians than blacks in, in Harvard than there are in the general population, then for them to have a case for legal intercession, they have to show how blacks are being legally prevented from getting into Harvard and that's something they cannot show. And now we get to the heart of the political difference between these two cases. The, the conservative opinion, and look, let's, I learned a long, long, long time ago that the only labels that make sense are collectivist and individualist. We could say we're conservatives, but we're conservating liberal values, right, left, all, it, none of that makes any sense, Co collectivist versus individualist. And as individualists, what we're saying is we're in favor of what the civil rights movement was all about. We as conservatives today want a colorblind society. We want a colorblind and sexblind society. I think the solution to any form of, of uh, perceived pr prejudice is to remove whatever information they could be biasing those decisions on. So my my solution to this is when you apply to Harvard, there is no box for your ethnicity, there's no box for your race, no box for your religion, no box for your sexual preference, no box for your for your sex or your gender, nothing. And as you pointed out in our backstage show, they can still determine from the names and stuff. So okay, so fine. I'm applicant number 67492283, right? And then Harvard looks at these things and picks the best people, and that's it. And what you get is what you get. You get the best people. That's our definition of fair. So ultimately, all of this boils down to the to the to the, the lifelong, society-long difference of opinion. Do we want equality of opportunity or do we want equality of result? You cannot have both. Equality of opportunity means you cannot have equality of result, and equality of result means you cannot have equality of opportunity. That's what we're dealing with. They're arguing for equality of result. They're saying that the Harvard student body should look exactly like the general population of America, and if it doesn't, then we will make it so. And and I'm not in favor of equality of result. I'm in favor of equality of opportunity, which we have. Now, now, if it turns out that we that we think that there are not enough black students at Harvard, and 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 you can certainly make the case that that is something we should address, then the answer to that is not is not restricting Asian students or setting these quotas. The answer is doing what we can societally to increase the scores of, of black Americans. So that if they were submitted in a in a completely colorblind manner, 
there wouldn't be an issue. And, and the way to do that is not through affirmative action, which is enforced equality result. The way to do that is through something like the United, something like the United, the United uh, Negro College Fund, which is a voluntary capitalist method of providing assistance to those parts of the population that clearly have been disadvantaged in terms of you know, edu educational opportunities throughout the past. If you really want to improve black scores, and, and improve the racial makeup of Harvard, the way to do it is to get rid of the democratic politicians that have run democratic cities and turned their educational systems into trick-or-treat bags for them to line their pockets with right. and producing generation after generation after generation with high school graduates who have an 8% literacy rate. That's what you really need to do. Yes, yeah, Steve, I think Bill brings up an interesting point because if you're arguing from the so-called liberal, and I don't like that title, but let's just use the language they're using in the news story. If sure. you're arguing from the liberal justice's point of view, you're basically saying, look, we need to let the colleges do what they want to do, which is to discriminate at times on the basis of race so that we can get more um, racial minorities, basically. Now, some racial minorities, not all, not the Asians, uh, but we need to get more <laughs> black and Latino students for example, into these universities because they haven't had a fair shot uh, coming up. And then you look back like Bill just did and say, well, okay, who's been running the, the large concentration populations of black Americans, their cities? <laughs> who's been running those states? Who's been running those schools? Why is it that uh, students coming up through a largely democratic or liberal or progressive run academic system are not as qualified as Asians or whites or even Latinos? for that matter, uh, to get into these highly selective universities. Uh, Steve, is it possible that we could stop? Like, do you think this debate will ever get to the point where we're not just talking past each other and basically both sides stating positions that at least our side could agree with both positions? Uh, I, we have issues. And Issues cannot always be settled by law, and certainly they can't always be settled by nine people in robes in Washington, D.C. That's just a fact of life. Society is too complicated to be run top down and having one best way for, for everybody. That's why I believe in liberty so strongly. Uh, that said, I just I want to share again a moment from uh, from the Supreme Court this week where as one of the attorneys, I think, for North Carolina – was saying that race isn't really an important factor in, in how we decide admissions. And, and Justice Sam Alito said, so then you wouldn't mind if the Supreme Court ruled that you can't use race as a, as a factor anymore? And the first word out of the attorney's mouth was, well, <laughs> we, we know you want to use this and maybe that's OK. But it's 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 so unfair and it, Unfair is not a word I like very much, but it's so unfair to all of those Asian kids who bust their ass yeah. uh, in high school to to get into an Ivy League school and then get shut out because there are too many Asian kids busting their asses. How How is that equitable? How is that just? And it, it makes me think that this country has a nasty history with racism. But what we forget is, or what the progressives want us to forget is, that doesn't make us unique in this world at all. The most exactly. racist comments I've ever heard in my 53 years were uh, from from the French about anybody who happened to be black or, God forbid, Algerian or Moroccan. Holy 
cow. Uh, the difference is here it's just much more visible because we are a multiracial, multicultural society. And so it all comes bubbling up in, in great big bubbles that you don't get in much more homogenous societies. And that's that's because fine. we're trying to do because we're trying to do something about it. That's it, why. Exactly. It's it's also been our great virtue uh, these last 60 years, 70 years with the civil rights movement. And it makes me think of something that I've come to think of as, as sidestepping. If there's an obstacle in the road, sometimes you just got to got to get a sidestep and, and move around it and find a, a different way. And Scott, you got me thinking about the historically black colleges and universities throughout this country. Um, if you look at a map of where these schools are, and there are some damn good historically black schools, they're all in the South. And the reason for that is the, 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 that, that shame, that stain on our honor called Jim Crow, where, where black kids were legally forbidden to, to go to white schools. Blacks and whites together raised money and started a lot of these schools that became historically black colleges that produced fine graduates generation after generation after generation. And it may be time for for Asian families to to step aside these obstacles that aren't legal obstacles like Bill was talking about, but obstacles put in the way of schools like like Harvard, like Yale, like the entire Ivy League and all these other schools to sidestep and and form their own historically Asian universities. I'm not saying this is a great solution. I'm not saying uh, I wish it were I wish there were something better. I wish these schools would be really, truly just and equitable in their admissions. But there's an obstacle. Maybe they need to sidestep it. Just let me add one thing. It's most people don't know. You know, when you talk, when you said that most of these great uh, black schools are in the South, yes, and and for the reasons you said. But and and obviously everybody's heard of Tuskegee Institute with um, with Booker T. Washington. But what many people don't know is that Booker T. Washington got to be friends with um, one of the owners of Sears Roebuck, who I'm ashamed to say his name has escaped me now. But he was a Jewish man, and together, the, this Jewish financier and Booker T. Washington built something like eight or nine hundred schools throughout the South, many of which are still standing today, Damn. that were that were constructed from the flooring up to be excellent centers of education. And I think that's still a legacy down there. So paradoxically, it's the it's the fact that it's the fact that slavery had done such damage throughout the South. That it took this combination of this of this Jewish financier and this and this former slave to create actual genuine genuine infrastructure, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of schools that were specifically designed for for poor blacks, and that apparently not only gave them an education, gave them a better education than the ones that they were getting from from the state governments down there. And this is data, folks. This is not only data; it's a blueprint. It's a solution. And all we have to do is just you know, take off the blinders and get down to work. And a black guy and a Jewish guy got together to do this. We can all get along, damn it. Don't let the progressives divide you. Well, uh, I know the Supreme Court doesn't operate this way, but I would really like to see a split decision. And I don't mean a division between conservatives and liberals on the court. I mean a, an opinion where they basically offer the colleges and universities two choices. Um, a, you need to stop discriminating on the basis of race because that's wrong. Um, however, if you want to keep discriminating on the basis of race, 
that's okay. Here are the conditions. You no longer get to uh, have students who have federally supported grant money to come to your institution. You can't have students who use federally backed student loans to come to your institution. So if you want to free yourself from the entanglement, oh, and by the way, we're not going to do any federally funded research at your institution either because the government can't be engaged in this kind of discrimination because it has to serve everybody. However, if you want to discriminate against people, you go right ahead. The government's not going to help you with that. And I think it was Milton Friedman who made this case years ago that he said, you know, if, if you were in a city and you found out that there was a grocery store that discriminated against blacks or discriminated against Jews, then quickly that store would become known as the bigoted store and many people would decide not to go there and it would go out of business. And that's perfectly fine with Milton Friedman who said, that's okay. You want to be anti-Semitic? Go ahead. Be anti-Semitic. Don't hurt anybody because then you're violating the law. But if you just want to be a moron and refuse service to people who have good money in their pockets and want to come in and spend it in your store, go ahead and do that. And I it's private think property. I would like to see all of the bigots and racists in the country have an opportunity to stand up and wave the bigot flag so we know just exactly who they are. And in this case, Harvard University or UNC who wants to discriminate on this basis. The other side benefit of my plan, by the way, is for those schools that decide not to accept the federal money, uh, the price of an education at those institutions will rapidly decrease because when you're subsidizing something, the price goes up. When you stop subsidizing it, the price comes down. Anyway, that just I, I hope that the court will uh, listen to my appeal. They're not going to make their decision until next July. They have a long time to mull it over. And uh, we will send a copy of this Betamax recording right over to the court <laughs> after we get done here today. For Bill Whittle and Stephen Green, I'm Scott Ott. Thanks to the members at BillWhittle.com for making Right Angle possible. 